Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Senator Matt Dolan. Senator Dolan is Senator for the Ohio District 24, which actually encompasses where I live and kind of goes around some of the outer suburbs of the greater Cleveland area. Additionally, into being a Senator in the state of Ohio, Senator Dolan is also a chair of the Senate Finance Committee. And one of his big accomplishments for pharmacy and kind of why we're having him on here today is he was a sponsor for a previous Senate Bill 265 that gave pharmacists provider status here in Ohio. So Senator Dolan, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me. And now, it, like I said, it's it's an honor and a privilege because of what you've done at the state level of Ohio. Can you kind of elaborate on how provider status kind of came on your radar since you're not a healthcare professional by trade? I will, and that's a, that's a nice lead-in because it is exactly how you know our country w- was developed, and we are we represent the people. And I was at a meet and greet, donuts and coffee, if you will, on a Saturday morning over in Westlake. When one of the constituents I talked to was a pharmacist, and we got to talking, and he outlined for me an issue he was having, his industry was having. And he approached me, not necessarily from the healthcare standpoint, but from standpoint of good for the economy and from the opiate crisis, because he knew that I had spent some time talking about you know, opiate awareness. So just kind of outlined the the problem for me and it just struck me it's like wait a second you know before i even got even into it and understood the the vast scope that pharmacists do in the state of ohio before i knew any of that what bothered me was here we have professions who cannot practice at the top of their license in our state so when i left that you know coffee that's what my motivation was, is we got to make sure that anyone who studies and goes to school and becomes the highest level of, of medical expertise in terms of in medication, that they have to practice at the top of their license. Then as I dug into the bill and found out what some of the issues were, and, and if you fight insurance companies and you fight Medicaid, which I'm sure you or some others have done, yeah. just in single payer, you know, it's, it's a cumbersome task, but the scope of which pharmacists do uh, in the practice of pharmacy, it, it was, was amazing to me. So the fact that you were going to be doing some of these things and not got paid just became a fundamental fairness thing uh, item for me. And then when you looked at pharmacists who were maybe more clinical pharmacists, that is, they were not retail pharmacies, but rather in the hospitals. And then you find out that the doctors don't always invite them into the healthcare team because they don't want to have to share the the fee because pharmacists aren't providers at that point. So now doctors have to lower their fees and share some of that money. So they decide not to do that. I mean, those are anecdotal stories. I don't think that was industry-wide. But again, it frustrated me. Not only did we not have individuals practicing at the top of their license, but now we weren't providing the ultimate and holistic and complete health care to a particular patient. So it was simply a constituent coming to me with a problem and then opening my eyes to what the problem was 
and then just being diligent and persistent to say, we've got to get this done. And yeah. if I could go on just a little bit longer, oh, go um, right ahead. the other thing I learned, the other thing I learned was the number of pharmaceutical schools we have uh, in Ohio. And I got a chance to go meet a lot of pharmacy students all over the state. And it just struck me, boy, if we don't let these young men and women practice at the top of their license, they're not going to stay in Ohio. And that, you know, that's the economic side of this. And, and, you know, here in Northeastern Ohio, particularly we're healthcare industry dominant. Well, why wouldn't we want pharmacists to practice at the top of their license? And then finally, I learned that in medical school at Ohio State, the med students and the pharmaceutical students worked together. Yet when they left the academic world, got to the real world, they didn't. And that seemed just wrong to me that, that you know, here we are training the, the, our medical students and pharmaceutical students to provide a complete health care and to have both of them be part of the healthcare team. And yet when real practice assumed, we weren't getting that. So sorry for the long winded answer, but it really started with just one, you know, one constituent. And then you guys just blew me away with all the things that you do within the healthcare uh, industry. Well, thank you for the compliment, but I think you hit on a lot of things there that are super important. Um, like you said, top of education <laughs> or top of your training, that's something we always complain about because we, we, I'm not going to say we have all the answers, but we have so many answers that we aren't able to fully do or for, fully utilize, especially where, where I work in a retail setting, we're very limited because we're not in that hospital setting or have the direct access to some of the other medical professionals, if you will. And like you said, there's numerous studies that show that, you know, we bring a value with what we know and what we can do, whether it be driving down cost, increasing access, or both in many cases. A close friend of mine and previous guest on the podcast, Victoria Reinhardt's, uh, she actually followed a paramedicine unit around her county, Manatee County. And I think it was a course of over one or two years, essentially acting as a provider for a lot of these low income and uh, undereducated individuals or high uh, high healthcare use individuals was able to save them on a conservative note five to ten million dollars, and so I think that was in a year or two time span. So that was just putting one pharmacist in a paramedicine unit in one county. That's not even the most the biggest county. It's down there by Tampa. It's just outside. So I think that you know that just echoes what you said. It's an economic thing. It could even save taxpayers in the long run, which is eventually going to trickle down into other other aspects of the government where it could be spent and utilized and a more efficient manner. Um, and yep. like, like you said too, with obviously Cleveland being where, where you live around and I live around is just so healthcare dominant with either the clinic university, Metro, the VA. And we even saw that as Scott Canor, the CEO of American pharmacists association used to be the chief of pharmacy at Cleveland clinic and got picked from there because he is just so excellent. That really kind of shows how Cleveland and Ohio specifically are, are very dominant when it comes to, to things like this. And also the one big thing that you mentioned on too was how we can kind of help combat the opioids uh, issues a little bit. And just to kind of build off that, a lot of that had to do with how pharmacists could get paid to refuse a prescription and not necessarily to deny someone care, but if you thought that there was other illegitimate issues going on there, and then that way it could help keep some of these drugs from turning from legal ones to more illicit activity. As we saw in the buildups about 2012, 2013, when this issue peaked, and there's a huge push to just fill, 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 like we kind of saw in the Netflix documentary, The Pharmacist. So I think that those are awesome things you pointed out, but there's even more that can be built on on top of there. 
Yeah, Dr. Jachi said that he would like, and other pharmacists would like the ability to engage with the patient, either in the hospital setting, clinic setting, if, you're, if that's where you're located, but for you in a retail setting, saying, hmm, I would like to provide, have a conversation with this folks because you can ask the right questions and talk to them about the medical conditions they're having and do they really need this kind of medicine? And, and from my standpoint, having met a lot of pharmacists now as a result of this bill, it seems like you guys do that anyway, even though you don't get paid uh, for it at all. And so that's, that's the fundamental fairness. But again, it's part of the healthcare process and team that I, as a patient and a consumer, if I understand that that man or woman at the, at the pharmacist, if they're asking me questions, they're asking me questions because they're part of my healthcare team, you know, not just covering their bases on the medicines and saying, take, take these with food. It's, Hey, I can ask this gentleman or this lady a question too. Hey, I didn't feel so good when I took this medicine. I mean, you guys all know those scenarios, but that will, you know, what I like what you said is, look, when you fight the insurance company Medicaid up front, it's because it's short-term cost to them. But if we can push through that short-term cost, the long-term savings are immense. And it will change behaviors, it will change health outcomes, and it will lower the cost. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about some of these chronic disease states, whether it be diabetes, when we can do things like maybe help them get access to diabetic testing supplies that they might, you know, that might have been forgotten when they were discharged or they need to test a little more. So maybe if this might be going kind of a step building off what you you had done with provider status, but prescribing them like a monitor, testing strips, educating them on it, those things that to be quite honest, the doctors aren't really reimbursed fairly for either. And, you know, for when you look at the rate, they're actually reimbursed very little for that but actually taking that time, sitting down doing it and just empowering them to kind of help take control of their disease state with something. I mean, diabetes is the common one, but even if it's just blood pressure and talking about some dietary issues and, you know, some of the foods to watch for and things like that, they might not have known because they're not, patients aren't educated with it. I mean, even only certain healthcare professionals really are, to be honest. And that's something that can make a lifelong difference. And now you're talking reduced hospitalizations, reduced uh, other health, uh, sick, sick days, things like that, and more productivity out of that person because they're healthier, they're happier, et cetera. So I'm glad that you recognize that because it's one of those things that is just so hard to communicate because it's not a, a benefit that people always see right that moment. But you said the long game is so key on this. Yep. Yep. The other thing that you had, had done, which was a huge one for pharmacies in Ohio, especially when it comes to like the retail pharmacies, is and I believe this was part of your role in the Senate Finance Committee. You guys had kind of rearranged some of the way the dollars were spent because of the uh, the egregious activities by PBMs and showing how much they had overcharged anywhere from the magnitude of three to six times the going rate of some of the PBM normal fees to Medicaid to the tune where they had basically overpaid two hundred forty some million dollars. And you helped ensure that a hundred million of essentially what was already previously being spent on that went to pharmacies, not as a bailout, but to help keep them serving those those high Medicaid, high need areas. Can you kind of elaborate on how that how that happened? Sure. Like, yes, you're, you're, you're being very kind. But again, it happened because now another Chachi, so Antonio Chachi was very, very effective. And while we were discussing in the Budget Finance Committee the PBM issue, pharmacists from all over the state came and testified and it became very clear that, hey, there's all this 
talk between Medicaid and PBMs and, and the managed care folks, but don't forget about us. Mm-hmm. And what was happening is the, you know, primarily rural or, you know, individual pharmacists was getting crushed by the way the system was set up. And uh, they were looking at going out, out of business you know, the only pharmacists that would be left would be chain pharmacists, which there's nothing wrong with those pharmacies. But in in conjunction with our earlier conversation, look, a lot of these pharmacists are more than just filling prescriptions in these smaller towns, particularly, or in the urban areas. You know, they are a chance for someone to talk to a medical professional. So we could not have these pharmacists uh go out of business. So what I came up with is actually, it was actually me and Ray DeRossi, who's our finance director, late, late at night, probably early in the morning, just trying to figure out, all right, how can we do this? And that's where we came up with $100 million, which which actually was $30 million of state dollars and $70 million in federal dollars. And then we, we, we created this tiered system that the more scripts you fill, that are Medicaid scripts, the more aid you would receive. And it was not a bailout. It was aid saying, look, you are providing a valuable medical service for people who need it in the state. And because of a system set up, no fault of your own, you, you are not being reimbursed at the rate of the healthcare you're providing. So that's how we came up with this. Now, this has been very frustrating. Whereas Medicaid on the provider status has, as I told you before, it's hard to get people to move, but they moved on the provider status. Not as quickly as we wanted them to, but they did. On, on the, the reimbursement plan that we came up with, they're not moving. And it's very frustrating. And they did not get it going in, in fiscal year uh, twenty. And here we are at fiscal year 21, and now they want to say, well, we need money for pandemic relief and budget cuts. And we said, no, you, this is not, these are dollars that are ultimately going to save money. These are people who are sick who are going into pharmacies. So we're still working on them. It's been very, that has been very frustrating that we did not get that up and operating much, much sooner uh, than we had. But I don't need to give a civic lesson. Sometimes the, <laughs> representatives and the governors do their thing and then it gets turned over to bureaucracy and they have their own agenda. So that that's been frustrating. Yeah. Well, if anything, that's a, a good reason why that, you know, we're here in election season that, and you're up for reelection this year. That's another good reason why people, especially pharmacists need to go vote for someone like you so that you can really see that to the end point it needs to get to in another four years as a state Senator here in Ohio. And the interesting thing is, as I hear you talking about some of these rural ones, that to me, especially if they're working areas with a lot of Medicaid, is really where the provider status part that you did separately, and then the reform of the payment structure really come together. Because now you're not only right. making sure that the, the basics are taken care of so that they will be there, but you're also enabling them to really change their business model so that they can go out there and, and take care of people and you know do more. And like you said, they are that healthcare access point. That's huge. We saw if you've kind of paid attention a little bit to some of the more pharmacy nerdy things, Ellen Gabler of the New York times had an article that came out last January that showed just the amount of stress and kind of things that really hit chain pharmacies and chain pharmacists. And because of the poor reimbursement structure, basically what it all ties back to. So if that can just get fixed 
you know, even a little bit, which what you did was obviously a lot more than a little bit in our state. But then you combine that with provider status and boom, you have a complete game changer now where maybe we're not taking care of, you know, broken bones or anything crazy like that. But we're taking care of other things that are more of less emergency, but maybe somewhere in between like that almost urgent care space or not even quite urgent care. Really, it doesn't really fall in their scope where we can help kind of people with their chronic diseases and help them live better, longer, healthier lives from just even small yeah, little interactions. Say, yep. I was just going to say chronic diseases and little flare-ups that if you don't address early become bigger flare-ups and then you're at the emergency room. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, it, it is seeing, it really, and it all started with that coffee conversation, is, is looking at pharmacists as a medical provider. They're part of our health care team. And once you make that jump in your head that, that they're not just the guy who is, you know, the person who's counting pills, they are part of the healthcare team. Then when you, when you make that uh, acceptance and then you could see all the holes, okay, we have a lot of holes we got to fill. Right. You know, hopefully, hopefully we can get there. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, like you said, too, is because some of the small guys were getting crushed because the negotiating skills or the set rates with Medicaid also helps level the playing field to make it more competitive. So if there was someone like myself who want to go start my own pharmacy, I now have a chance to do that. I'm not going up against a it's not an 800 pound gorilla, but an 8000 pound gorilla with some of these reimbursement models, if you will. And right. in our state of Ohio, we've seen, I think the number is somewhere right around 200 pharmacies close in just the past couple of years. And one chain got bought out. I think it was Ritzman Pharmacy up here around the Akron, South Cleveland area. Yep. And only, I think two of them got kept open. The large chain, the bottom out closed 18 of the other 20 stores. And now some of them might have been right across the street from them. But at the same point, that's one more access point that somebody now can't use to go speak to someone as a healthcare provider, like you did with your previous no. the bill and everything. And no, no one saw this for sure. I, I certainly didn't, but now imagine how important pharmacists are going to be in the next three to 10 months when we distribute vaccines. Yep. I, I mean, if they're, they're going to be essential to, to, to that, now, you know, along with the doctors and nurses, but again, now they're part of the medical team. Now they're incentivized, not only incentivized, but properly funded for, for the, their role in, a, in probably one of the more historic uh, medical events that's going to occur in our, in our country. Yeah, and I've personally been out there doing COVID tests uh, at like kind of one of those drive-up clinics and stuff like that. And, you know, again, we're not really sure how this – we're not able to bill for this now currently, but the way we're doing it is I'm having to have conversations with people about – hey, you tested positive or, hey, you're negative. They have questions of, well, I was around someone yesterday, they coughed on me or, you know, this is my second test, but I swear I'm having these symptoms. And I'm having to sit down and have some hard conversations with people if they can travel, if they can see their family members and things like that to really reduce the spread of this disease because this is so serious. And obviously with some of the older people or high risk people more so, but even with people who are just like myself, who are runners, active people in good health, you know, here's what you can, here's what you probably shouldn't do. I can't stop you, but I can give you the best advice possible. And sometimes those conversations go on for 10 minutes. And meanwhile, it's backing up a little bit or that, you know, I'm getting pulled away from being able to do testing at the same point. So thank you for recognizing our role in that. I think that's huge. One other thing I want to get to, to kind of to finish this up was what kind of other visions or things do you see coming with either these bills or kind of like if, when you get elected to a next term with pharmacy? So, uh, yeah, I kind of 
reveal that's where my you know, my thinking is now is obviously we're going to be part of this vaccination program and so i i presume that's where all my focus in this space will be but you know the beautiful thing of this job and why i love it so much i can't you know i go in with my passion and my passion is to drive the the economy my passion is to make sure lake erie is a viable part of our, our growth and our future uh but you learn so much and so you know, with, with the relationships I have developed within the pharmaceutical world, they know now, I hope, they can come to me at, with issues that they have, and I have a baseline understanding of it. And so I don't I don't look at the industry and say, boy, this is what I would do. I look at the industry and say, what can I do? What, what do you need from me? Uh, I get the big picture now, so what, what do we need to, to close those gaps? So you know, I think we're going to probably have PBM issues as they roll out the new single PBM. Um, so we're going to keep our eye on that. Um, obviously, we want to see that the reimbursement program gets established the way we intended to be established. Uh, and then you know, the vaccination uh, program going forward. Uh, you know, so there will be a number of, uh, and of course, make sure provider status continues on the path that, that it's on right now. So. There'll be a number of issues that I think we can keep our eye on, and then I'm always available to listen, folks like you and John and others, to say, "Hey, this would help. You know, can you help us?" Yeah, and I think the provider status is going to obviously PBM reform is like the backbone, but provider status is kind of like all the all the tentacles off that, if you will, because it got recognized in modern healthcare with what happened because of your bill just here in Ohio. And I mean, when you have national magazines really recognizing the work and it didn't name drop you for better or worse, but, but it's the backbone of everything you did was Senate bill 265 that really drove home. So this could even start so that people could start seeing pharmacists in the light and pharmacists could be utilized properly. So I thought that was a huge call out. And that's why I personally want to see you get four more years in the Senate, because I want to see that, I guess vision come to a full fruition when it comes to provider status. And because we need people who understand the PBMs and since you have been on the finance committee and help perform some of these PBM issues, you're, I think a great person to do that. If not the best person to do that. Well, I, 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 that's very nice. I appreciate that. And I would, you know, I'm working hard on the campaign trail uh, to make sure that um, I do get to four more years because I I do like to work and I, I do think that, you know, I can work with folks and, and add value. So I, I hope I get the chance as well. Awesome. Hey, where can people find you? Uh, either it be Facebook, social media, or website-wise, in, in case they want to learn more about you, say they care about pharmacy, but they want to learn yeah. something else. So I appreciate that. So if you if you allow me, so on the campaign end, if you want to get a hold of me or learn a little bit more about how I stand on other issues or, you know, maybe how you can help, it's electmacdolan.com. And it's uh, my Facebook, I think, is Elect Matt Dolan, and my web, uh, Twitter is Elect Matt Dolan. So I'm happy to have folks uh, join us there. On policy issues, feel free to call my state office at 614-644-5088, or you can email me there at matt.dolan at ohiosenate.gov. And then if you go to the Senate webpage, uh, it also has my official website as well. So uh, I appreciate that, Eric. Oh, no problem. Uh, like I said, you're someone who I'm definitely voting for. My wife's definitely voting for. We support not just the pharmacy, but a lot of what you do as well. So 
for listeners, I'll put a lot of this in the show notes. You can have links and other things like that. If you just click on the show notes, it'll be easy to find. And that way you can kind of reach out or do your research as well as you want to. So Senator Dolan, thanks for coming on the podcast with me today. Thank you, Eric. Uh, It was great. Look forward to talking to you some more. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, good luck on the campaign. I know it's this year's especially tough just being 2020. So listeners, as always, if you can share this with the uh, other pharmacists, you know, whether they're in Ohio or not, but especially if they're around Cleveland area and even other people, if they want to help kind of get a more candid conversation with a candidate, which can be a little tough these days between Zoom calls and everything like that. So if you can share this, I appreciate it. Senator Dolan will appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.